0: Well, good morning, Chapel family. Good to see you this morning. We're beginning a new study today. We're starting to study in the book of Acts, beginning a 12-week study of the first 11 chapters of the book, and uh, that'll take us right up till Christmas. It's going to be a great study, and I'm already excited about it. Seven years ago, I stepped off a plane... Into onto the tarmac in Zamboanga City in the Philippines. Zamboanga, or Zambo they sometimes call it, is is not the end of the world, but it's where you go to get there. It's the last stopping place, the most southern point of the main islands in the Philippines, and from there you go off to all the little islands, so it's where all the terrorists come to do their stuff. It's where all the... Uh, the military comes to do their stuff, and it's where all our frontline workers working in the remote islands of the Philippines go to jump off to their place as well. And uh, many, many things to see. I'm not going to give you a slideshow of all of that, but just to say that among all the strange sights I saw there, if I looked closely, there was always one very familiar sign not very far away. I know you can't see it there. 1996. Uh, about a dozen of us chapel folks traveled some eight hours by scary gravel roads to a little village called Tahumulco in a most remote area of Guatemala. Some of the folks in that village had never seen a white person before. so you remember that, Lonnie. But yet, you could go into almost any little tienda in that little town and there you would find that same familiar sight. 1980, really going way, way, way back, Janet and I were in Haiti, went with a team there and uh, we went way out to a poor and remote village that was only accessible by dugout canoe. Now, that's not a dugout canoe. I couldn't find a picture of it, but that is a vintage picture that Janet was taking of our team as we were heading out uh, to a different place there in Haiti. All that to say, deep in the steamy jungle of Haiti, as we got there by dugout canoe, went through, up to, hiked up to this village, this little tiny village, our gracious hosts served us dinner. And then they brought out a special treat that they knew their American guests would love. Same thing as in all of these places, a Coke. Of course, it was warm because there's no refrigeration or electricity in that place. You know, since Coca-Cola began in 1886, there is hardly a place on this globe, hardly a corner of the world where Coke has not gone. At least I haven't been to a place yet where you can't find it. The only places that I'm aware of that you can't get Coke on this planet is Cuba and North Korea. And Saudi Arabia, apparently another one other place. (laughs) Places where basically it's forbidden, otherwise it would be there. You know, it really is truly remarkable how pervasive it is through the world. Multinational expansion really doesn't shock or surprise us so much anymore as it really ought to. Because while Coke is arguably the most successful in... Truly global expansion, uh, there are other products and other companies that aren't far behind. Things like Microsoft, McDonald's, Apple. The book of Acts is written by Luke. It's the sequel to his gospel. I want you to listen for a few moments. I hope that you've already pulled out your Bibles and turned to the book of Acts in chapter one. I just want to read the first nine verses this morning. It's the focus of our, of our lesson this morning. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while He was staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took Him out of their sight. Luke is continuing His Gospel. He he wrote the Gospel of Luke. This is the sequel. This is maybe called Luke, Volume 2. He continues the story. And as Jesus is leaving earth, He turns to these disciples and gives them a mission. Be My witnesses. And then He says, go global. Take this global. Jerusalem and all Judea and then Samaria and then to the end of the earth. And we hear that and we think, yeah. Not, you know, ho-hum. It, it, it. And yet, you have to realize that this is shocking. I mean, it's a big deal even today. But we have to realize that from the perspective of these disciples, this is insanity. Nothing has gone Global. The closest you can get to a global anything in their day and in their thinking is the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is limited to that area. It's basically circling the Mediterranean Sea. It doesn't extend north into Germania and Russia. It doesn't extend to the east all the way to India and the Far East. It doesn't extend to the south beyond Egypt and down into Libya and and Ethiopia and all of Africa. And yet that's the most global thing they know. And Jesus has just said, take this to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine what they're thinking as they look at each other and go, I've never even left Israel. (laughs) Who are we? They're not educated people. They're not wealthy people. They're not influential people. They're not powerful. They're not, you know, who are they? And yet, that is exactly the marvel of this book of Acts. It is the story here in chapter 1, beginning with these, 11 disciples and the other believers who total right at 120 people as you go reading later in this chapter. And from 120 people, everything changes. Jesus said, you'll be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And beginning in chapter 2, amazing things happen and this church has explosive growth in Jerusalem and throughout Judea, chapters 1 through 7. And then Jesus said, and into Samaria and chapters 8 and 9, the Gospel breaks prejudicial divide and cultural divide and goes into the region of Samaria. And then in chapters 10 and And on to the end, the Gospel goes to the Gentiles and then expands into Asia and into Europe. And you end in chapter 28 with the Apostle Paul in Rome. In Rome, he is there. He's under house arrest. But you read these words, chapter 28, it's the last couple of verses. It says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul is under arrest, and yet still the Gospel is being preached in Rome, which is the capital of the world in their minds. And the last two words there are significant because he says, Luke writes, he preached with boldness, And without hindrance. And then you go to turn the page to see what comes next and you discover that there is no next. That's the end of the book of Acts. It just stops right there. And that's exactly the point. The message is that the gospel has spread and it continues to spread unhindered. It spread from that little band in Jerusalem throughout all of Judea and into Samaria and to the Gentiles and through all the way to the capital of the world, to Rome. And now it is spreading there unhindered. And the message is that is exactly the point. The Gospel continues to spread unhindered and it will not be stopped and it cannot be stopped. And yet it is a story that is still being written. It's a story that continues to be written because the mission that Jesus gave to these original disciples is now our mission. It's still going on. There are literally billions of people on planet earth who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus. And we are to be His witnesses to our own Jerusalem And our own Judea, that's the area right around us. And to our Samaria, that is the area around us, but the cross-cultural, the cross-prejudicial and ethnic lines. And then to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's our mission. And I've already taken us to the end of the book and I've already given us the punchline of the book. And we haven't even started the series. But you see, it raises a huge question. And it should be the same question that was raised by these first believers there when Jesus said, go global. And I could only imagine Peter and John and James looking at each other and going, right. And when it sinks in, that Jesus is saying that to us. Here today, and you look, and just look at the folks around you. And Jesus says, you are to be my witnesses and go global. Take this like Coke (laughs) into every corner of the globe. How many of you really feel up to that? Oh yeah, got it. Anybody feel a little intimidated by that? You know, you want a vision statement. Here's a vision statement for us. We don't need to write vision statements and mission statements. You know, Jesus gave a mission statement. Make disciples, Matthew 28 19. Here's a vision statement. Take it global. But how do we do that? Really? There's a lot of temptation to try to emulate Coca-Cola. Well, Coke did it. How did they do it? Let's do it that way. What do we need? We need some visionary leaders. And then we've got to get together and we've got to develop a marketing strategy that takes into account people's felt needs and desires. And we, we grab those and then we develop a business plan, a model to meet that. And we launch this thing and we're going. But you see, we're not a business. And we're not called to sell a product. We never find that anywhere here in Scripture. Rather, Jesus says simply, be My witnesses. Be, what, be My witnesses here in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. With that in mind, since the mission is all about Jesus... And by the way, as we come to the book of Acts, there's no way we're going to cover in 12 weeks that we're going to cover every verse and every significant thing in these 11 chapters. Rather, what we're going to target, what we're going to zero in on all the way through is this mission if this mission is our mission, and it is, how do we do it? What do we do? And it's not about developing a business plan and creating a market strategy. How is it that we as believers today in 21st century, how can we see what happens in our generation, what happened in the first century? Where 120 very ordinary people, led by 11 less than extraordinary leaders, turned their world upside down for Jesus. Can that happen today? I think it can. Four things I want us to look at this morning. Since the mission is all about Jesus, we are to be His witnesses. It would help us to see what is said here in these first verses about Jesus. I want to call our attention to four realities, four truths about Jesus that make the mission possible. Number one, verse three. Go back. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is alive. He died. He was crucified. And He rose again. And the point, and it's very clear here that they want to make, is that Jesus is alive. He, It is certain to put it in words that I understand growing up in Texas, it's for sure. It says, he presented himself alive with many certain, that, that word proofs in the ESV here, and many of your other translations, it will have another word with it. Some of your Bibles will say with many certain proofs. Some of your translations will read certain, in, or many infallible proofs. One translation I really love says, with incontrovertible Proofs. And that is the intention of that word in the Greek. It means it's a proof that cannot be misunderstood, cannot be overturned, cannot be ignored. It is for sure. Examples. He has a few here. For one thing, verse 3, it says that He was appearing to them. The literal word in, in the Greek is they eyeballed Him. It's using an idiom just like we use that today. They eyeball him. It means you get there and you check it out. And if you go back and read Luke's Gospel, the last chapter of Luke's Gospel, Luke 24, Jesus appears to the disciples and He's there and He's saying they eyeballed Him. They're looking at Him. And Jesus says, come here, guys, check it out. (laughs) Look at My hands. Look at My feet. Look, it's Me. Touch Me. He says, does a spirit have flesh and bone like I do? And they touch and they check it out. You know, that's eyeballing. He says, they did that. Next, Luke goes on in his Gospel, Luke 24, and he says that while they're doing that, then Jesus goes, hey, guys, you got any food? Somebody grabbed a piece of broiled fish and hands it to him and he eats. That's a big deal because if you're thinking that he's a ghost or a spirit or a a hallucination... Hallucinations don't eat. Apparently ghosts don't either. You know, there's no body there, no, no flesh and bone, no, no real person you can't eat. And that's the whole point. It says here, He spoke to them. Not just once, but He appeared to them over 40 days speaking about the kingdom, teaching. It wasn't just a little brief encounter where, well, did I see Him or not? I'm not sure. It's He's there and He's teaching. They heard Him, spent time with Him. The Apostle Paul writes over in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, and he says that at one time He appeared to over 500 people at one time. And Paul writes, and it's 25 years later, and he says, most of those people are still alive. If you want to go back and check it out, I challenge you to do that. That's what Luke means here when he writes many infallible, certain, incontrovertible proofs. You took this to court, you couldn't lose. That's his point. Jesus is alive. And that is the core message through the book of Acts. Every time you see the apostles presenting the Gospel, preaching about Jesus, the big thing is He's alive. Yes, Jesus died for our sins, and that's a big deal. But the really big news is that He rose from the dead. He's alive. That's the one thing that separates Jesus from any other person, from any other religious leader, any other founder, any other great person. All of them are dead. He's alive. It is the proof that He alone is God, it's the proof that He's the Savior. It is the guarantee of our faith because He conquered death. Jesus is alive. Verses 4 and 5, He goes on, He says, "...while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said you heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." Not only is Jesus alive, But Jesus is active. He was active in these apostles' lives and He is still active today. And let me explain, show how. The first thing He says is, He says, don't leave. He just gave Him a message. He just gave Him a mission. He said, go. And and He says, be My witnesses. But He says, wait for a minute. Actually, not a minute. He says, wait. Wait until... The Spirit comes. The point is that He says down in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus is giving them a mission that's impossible, but He's saying, don't take off on this mission until you receive the power. Jesus empowers them and He empowers us. He doesn't ask us to do anything He will not give us the ability to do. And that is significant to know. When you and I look at the failures and the inadequacies of those first disciples, we ought to be encouraged. When we look and we see that, that He turned over this thing to the most unlikely people. I mean, if you read the Gospels, these guys are losers. A bunch of fishermen and a terrorist and a tax collector, and you go down, there's none of them... Th- Why would you pick these guys? I mean, these guys would be on our list of most likely to fail. And Jesus said, no, I chose you. Who are these guys to do this? Who are we to take this global? And that's the point. It's not us. Jesus says, wait, guys, because the power's coming. Jesus gives the power Not only that, let's go back to the first verse. It says, in the first book Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus, do you notice that next word, began to do and teach. See, the point is that Jesus is still at work. Luke says the Gospel, the book of Luke, is all that Jesus began to do, and the inference is that Jesus still has more He's going to do. Jesus isn't finished. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is building His church. The title of this book is not part of the original text. Luke didn't write the title. When Luke sat down to write this, he didn't write the Acts of the Apostles and then... You know, in my first letter, Theophilus, I no the, the title was added somewhere around the second century or so. And it's really, if I may give my opinion, it's not a very good title. If you read the book, I hope you will, if you haven't, and we're going to go through, as I say, the first 11 chapters, but let me just point out something. The Acts of the Apostles, that title would suggest that the book is about, be Acts of the Apostles. How many apostles are there? 11, chapter 1. By the end of the chapter, there's 12 because they fill Judas' empty spot. Okay, We're not going there, but that's what happens in the rest of the chapter. Guess what? After chapter 1, most of them aren't mentioned again. Matter of fact, you go a few chapters over, we'll be there in a little bit, and you get to... A couple of guys named Philip and Stephen, they're the first deacons, they're they're not apostles, but they get more press than ten out of the eleven apostles. They get more space on the page. Matter of fact, they get a lot of space. Matter of fact, of those eleven first, those eleven apostles you start with in chapter one, only Peter gets a lot of press. And you get to you get to chapter 15, and Peter just quietly just falls off the page. He kind of peters out. <laughs> and Paul rises to prominence, the, the apostle who is, as in his own words, untimely born. He wasn't one of the original ones. But God raises him up. Jesus raises him up as a special apostle to the Gentiles. We get there. And, and Paul comes on the page in chapter 15. And as we already saw at the end of the story, chapter 28, Paul's story really doesn't end. It just kind of falls off. See, there's a message in that. This book isn't the Acts of the Apostles. Nor is it the Acts... Of any one person. Well, it is the acts of a person. It's the acts of Jesus. This account in the book of Acts is the continuing story of Jesus, but it's no longer His personal work on earth in a human body. He's taken out and is Jesus' work through the power of the Holy Spirit through His Body on earth who now is the church. Paul will write to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he writes, For we are all believers, Christians, we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, the body of Christ. And the book of Acts is about the works of Jesus through the body of Christ to be His witnesses and carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. You see? It's the acts of Jesus. The good news in that is if the mission that they had is our mission and the mission is way above our pay grade, that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. It's not us doing it. It's Jesus who will do it through us. He asks us and invites us to and even commands us to participate. we can opt out, but why would we? Well, we're scared, <laughs> we're inadequate. Well, Jesus says the power I provide, and I'm going to do the work. Jesus is working to accomplish what he promised in matthew sixteen eighteen I will build my church. and The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Third truth about Jesus, we find in verse 9, it says, when He had said these things as they were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took Him out of their sight. Marvelous reality here. Jesus ascended. That is really a big deal. Because what it's saying is that Jesus Christ is in heaven today as a man he is in heaven today in a body that walked in the dust of earth that ate earth food and that hung out with earthlings because he is an earthling fully God and yet fully one of us and that's pretty remarkable to realize that he's there in heaven and what's he doing in heaven is really significant. Hebrews gives us some great insight. Hebrews chapter 4, chapter 4 and verses 14 to 15. We won't take the time to look there, but go look it up yourself. Jesus is there, and the Scripture says that He is there as our great high priest. That's huge. Matter of fact, it says He's a high priest not like one who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, the point is that Jesus gets what it is to be human. How many of you feel pretty frail? How many of you feel pretty inadequate and powerless and, you know, just not that smart? Not, you know, all of those things. Jesus understands what we go through. He knows what it is to be human. He understands our weaknesses and what the Scripture goes on there in Hebrews 4 says, as one who understands us, he is our priest and He intercedes for us. He prays for us. You know, we appreciate having other people pray for us. We have a prayer chain here. That's a big deal. So often I will ask you and you will ask me, would you pray for me? And we pray for one another. But what an awesome thing that Jesus Christ Himself prays for you. It's amazing. It goes on. What what else is Jesus doing there in heaven? Hebrews chapter 1 and some other places in the Hebrews also say, but it says that He's on the throne. He has ascended and is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is sitting on the throne of heaven as a man. What that says is, by the way, He's in charge. Oh my goodness, how we tend to panic. What's gonna happen in November? Oh my, we're in a mess. Oh, this world is gonna fall apart. Our country's gonna fall apart. What's gonna happen? And if that's not bad enough, the Cubs are winning. <laughs> it's proof, it's proof that the end of the world is near. <laughs> and I say, so? Because Jesus is in charge. No king is in charge, no earthly king, no president, no terrorist, no dictator, no democrat, no republican. Whatever it is you tend to fear, they're not in charge. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, sits at the right hand of the Father in the seat of authority in heaven. You don't need to worry. Nothing's going to happen out of His control, out of His plan. You realize what confidence these two realities should give us? Jesus is in charge and He prays for you. Well, if He's in charge and He prays for you, what does that mean? It means nothing He wants done gets undone or left undone. Awesome! Awesome! One last reality of Jesus. Verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. May I say there's an awful lot of disagreements among believers today about what Jesus is going to do when He returns. Much of the church today says there is no future for Israel. That all the Old Testament promises for a messianic kingdom in Israel were voided when Israel rejected Jesus. They may be right, but I think they're wrong. And this passage here this morning is just one of the reasons why I would disagree with them. Note in verse 6 that the disciples have a question for Jesus just before He's taken up. It's the last thing they ask. "Well, Well, Lord, at this time, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Hey, Jesus, that whole messianic kingdom, are you going to set it up right now? That's an interesting question. Back up to verse 3. What's been going on over the last 40 days? He has been, at the end of the verse, speaking about the kingdom of God. Now go to Jesus' response to their question. Verse 7. Don't miss. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by His own authority. Now, if Jesus has spent 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God and there is no literal messianic kingdom coming, if all there is is a spiritual kingdom, well, note back in verse 6, the disciples have a question. They say, and this is just before Jesus goes up, they say, um, hey, Lord, will it this time will You restore the kingdom to Israel? And if you go back to the first verses back to first 3 again what was Jesus doing over the last 40 days says he was speaking to them about the kingdom of God so Jesus now are you going to restore the kingdom and for the last 40 days he's been teaching them about the kingdom then don't miss verse 7 as Jesus responds because he doesn't rebuke them nor correct them for expecting an earthly kingdom. Which would seem really odd if they were really wrong-headed in their thinking. Otherwise, Jesus would say, Guys! Don't you get it? there is no earthly kingdom! It's a spiritual kingdom! That's why I think he's really going to bring a kingdom on earth. If you want to disagree, you're free to do that. But it doesn't make sense to me. The implication that Jesus gives is that there is a kingdom coming, but it's just not now. The problem isn't the question of the kingdom. The problem is the question of timing. And you want to know, is it now? And here's the point. It's none of your business. God's in charge of that. That's not your concern. Your concern is the mission. Be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Three quick lessons for us in this now. First is this then. Don't obsess over the prophetic future. I think, you know, don't be always, you know, just trying to figure out every detail and every timing and Is Jesus coming now? Oh, is that the Antichrist? Maybe. Oh, we... Relax. God's got it. I'm not saying don't study prophecy. It is valuable to study, but let's not obsess over it. And let's not, as believers, go dividing and spitting and spatting and fighting all over, well, I think that, you know, he's gonna come back before the millennium. No, he's gonna come back after the millennium. No, he's gonna come back before the tribulation. No, there is no tribulation. Yes, there is. No, there's not. Now, I have a view and it's right on all of these things. (laughs) But I can love you as my brother if you're wrong. And we can still work. God's got the future covered. Let's work on the mission. Number one. Number two, don't look to have the kingdom now. I think we all tend to be like the disciples. They wanted to see the good times come. Lord, is it now? Now will You bring in the peace, the justice, the righteousness, all the blessing. They wanted that. And me too. Matter of fact, pray for it. You know, Jesus told us to do that. You remember that thing, the disciples' prayer, or we call it the Lord's Prayer? Well, He taught us to pray, Your kingdom come a great prayer. But you see, the kingdom won't come until the king returns. And until then, we need to focus on the kingdom mission. Tell people about Jesus. Third lesson here. Don't forget. He's really coming back. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with Me, and I will give to everyone according to what He has done. See, the real rewards aren't in this earth. They never have been and never will be. The reason that that Greek word martis that means witness Came to mean what we think of it as martyr, which means to give your life, is because so many of those early Christians died for their faith that the two words became synonymous. That that the word martyr became, or witness, I should say, became synonymous with what we think of, martyr. As it moved into English, it just meant, well, you die for your faith. Because that's what the witnesses did. And Jesus says, if you do, you don't miss a thing. Because I'm coming soon and I bring my rewards with me. Focus on the mission because every effort, every sacrifice will be rewarded. It will be worth it all. Jesus is continuing to work the greatest story ever Having paid the cost of sin on the cross, He is now in the process of building His church, a people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And inconceivably, God used these most unlikely witnesses in Acts to rock their world for Jesus. When Ted was praying for the offering, he said, Lord, we know that You can do it all without our help. But You choose to use us. It's a blessing, it's an opportunity, it's a privilege. And he extends that same offer he did to these disciples to us today. Go be my witnesses. You know what? I don't have plan B. You're plan A. You still sitting here? By His grace, may He work through us to share the Gospel with the billions of lost people in our generation. May He use us to turn our world upside down.